Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to the Fail Critics Podcast. I'm Jack Stewart, not Steve Norman, and I'll be your host today. Um, joining me on this wonderful adventure through film is, as usual, Owen Hughes. Hello. Andrew Brooker. Hello. And my Wiki Shuffle Podcast cohort, Phil Sharman. Hello. Who you will yes, remember you're... from last week. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've, I've set up residency. <laughs> you're, you, you, you neglected to mention then your, your award-winning... Chum from Wiki Shuffle. We were being uh, humble. Were you being humble? <laughs> Characteristically uh, <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah, that doesn't fit in with our, our podcast. Um, gloat away, gloat away. That is a con- that is something to be congratulated for. That is amazing. You you won. You're award-winning comedians now, I believe. You can put that on all your we, we can say paraphernalia. That, it would be a, a bit of a lie, but we can say it. Oh, we're legitimately <laughs> and officially funny. Yeah, it's a comedy podcast and won a comedy podcast award. I think that makes you award-winning comedians. It's a lot of pressure, though, isn't it? When anyone... Like, we didn't even say it was a comedy podcast. Not yeah. really. Yeah. So it is... It's Go on, t- tell us a joke, Jack. Tell us a joke. Um, I think that's what you have to do when, when you're uh, No, we need to move on to the quiz, which okay. <laughs> um, I should just say before um, we get on to that, actually, we are going to talk about the, the film's Legend and The Visit, which have been out this week. Um, we'll also have what we've been watching and some recommendations as well and the film news. Um, but yeah, we'll start with Phil's quiz. Ooh, how exciting. This is good because I know that I'm not going to look like an idiot, whatever happens, because I just get to ask the questions. Now, it's a very straightforward format um, that I've got for this quiz, but hopefully it'll be quite fun. Let's see how it goes. Right, there's going to be seven questions that can be open to all three of you, so you're all playing against each other. Okay. And Cast this finger first. Uh, nope, you're going to get a ter- each get a oh, chance no. to answer. Oh, okay. Okay, so what I'm going to be doing is giving you the name of a film star, and I mm-hmm. want you to tell me how old they are. <laughs> it is as simple as that. Okay. And this is the this is the quiz that you spent all week all week preparing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not complicated, but um, it will be a cumulative score. So it's how close you are to the total of all of these people's ages added up at the end of the the seven rounds. Wow. So okay. there's something that all of these stars have got in common, um, and they are all alliterative actors or actresses. Uh, which is to say that their first and second names start with the same letter. And so I want to know what their age is as of today, according to Wikipedia. Um, uh, We're taking that as gospel as to how old they actually are. And so we're going to start off with, because this is Failed Critics, 
Mm-hmm. We're going to start off with Danny Dyer. <laughs> How old is Danny Dyer? Jack first. Oh, God. Um, uh, 41. 41. Owen. I feel like I should know this. Uh, 38. 38. And Brooker. I'll just go kind of price is right and somewhere in the middle and say 39. Nine. <laughs> What was I thinking? 41. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you the correct answers until the end, so you don't know how close any oh, of you cool. are. Okay. But I will tell you, Owen is in the lead, so you're going to answer the next question first. Uh-huh. And that is Holly Hunter. <laughs> Holly, oh, Jesus, I don't know. Uh, 34. 34. Brooker, you're the next closest, so if you can tell me next... How old do you think Holly Hunter is? 50. And Jack. Holly Hunter. Can you use that in a sentence, please? You don't have to spell it, Jack. You haven't got to spell it, so don't. don't Holly don't, Hunter don't, is. Enlighten me. Um, she's in A Life Less Ordinary, is my favourite role of hers. <laughs> um, she's in Copycat. I'll, yes. go, I'll go with. 43. Yeah. 43. So, after round two, Brooker is in the lead. Oh, so you can answer then. first. David Duchovny. 50. He's got to be 50. And at the minute, Jack is in second place. How old is David Duchovny? Um, hmm. 51. You can give the same answer. <laughs> it wouldn't feel right. <laughs> and Owen? I think he was... He is. He was... Um, f- 55? Five. Right. Going into round four, Brooker is still in the lead. So how old is Lucy Lou? <laughs> 45. And Jack is still in second place. Um, yeah, I would have said mid four. So let's go with 44. And Owen? I, I've got a feeling she's older than than I think. And I and my in, initial reaction was 45, but I think she's pos- probably older, so I'll just go for 50, I think. Okay. Brookie, you're still in the lead. How yeah. old is Lindsay Lohan? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> 30. Oh, stop stealing my answers, Brooker. <laughs> you can give uh, the same yeah, answer. In second place. Uh, let me think about this. It's not It's not going to make for good podcast listening, but I'm going to have a little think. 30. 30. 30, 30. <laughs> 3,030. I mean, that, that puts you way you might out. Be a bit off there. Um, and Owen? Uh, 27. Brookie, you're still in the lead. <sighs> Woohoo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's the level of enthusiasm yeah. I want to see. Now, I should just point out how wonderfully complicated the spreadsheet I've had to design is to I was th- have these the scores in real time. I was just thinking that you must have added each of them up and then worked out what the average what the score actually is at each point. Is yeah. that right? And I'm letting yeah. Excel do all the heavy lifting for me. Nice. Nice. <laughs> so, Brooker, Richard Roundtree, better known as Shaft, 
<laughs> Fucking hell. Jesus. 75. Jack. 79. And Owen. I think he must be much older than that. I think he's about 88. So, going into the final round, it's very close. Um, Owen has taken the lead. <sighs> Thank you, Shaft. <laughs> so, I want to know, Owen, if mm-hmm. he was still alive today, how old would Charlie Chapman be? Char- Chapman? Charlie Chapman. <laughs> Charlie Chaplin. <laughs> I've actually written down Charlie Chapman. <laughs> Charlie Chapman. Oh, shit. I used to know. He was born on Christmas, wasn't he? He died did on he Christmas. Died on Christmas. Yeah, oh, okay, that doesn't help at all. Just one Christmas have... in the last hundred yeah, years. They have one of those. <laughs> yeah, you see. But I, uh, I think he was born eight, eighteen ninety something. So <sighs> don't show you working. <laughs> I, I, uh, I'm gonna guess he would would have been one hundred twenty three. Uh, Brooker, you're in second place. Everything to play for. 125. <laughs> you bastard. <laughs> <laughs> I've got no idea. And Jack. Uh, this might be just rubbish, but for some reason I think he was born in 1896. So I'm going to go with 119. And he was born, I, I remember he died on Christmas. I can tell you when he died. He died on Christmas Day, 90, uh, 1976, I think. I know that he, or maybe 1975, I know that he saw, no, 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 ignore me. Shut up, Jack. I'm just, just move on. <laughs> he saw Star Wars. I know that much. So he it would have been Star 77 Wars. or 78. Good for him. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Charlie Chaplin. He accomplished something in his life. Yeah. That was it. Yeah. Shuffled off this mortal coil <laughs> in a humorous way. <laughs> I will run through the answers very quickly. Danny okay. Dyer is 38. Oh, yes. Spot on. Holly Hunter is 57. Shit. <laughs> no. I have no idea who that is, so I don't know why I said wow. <laughs> David Duchovny is 55. <gasps> Lucy Lou that one is... right as well, then. You got that one spot on as well. Lucy Lou is fifth, uh, 46. <sighs> Lindsay Lohan is 29. Richard Roundtree is 79. And were he still with us, Charlie Chaplin would be 126 years old. So the total there was 430. Closest to that total was Owen with 415. Brookas, one away with 414. Jack, 407. Shit. Letting down the Wiki Shuffle team. Mm. But it's good because now they know that we weren't cheating. Yeah, I did ask. I did ask Phil for the answers before we began, and he wouldn't give me them. So, oh, what good, bastard. good, well done, Phil. Well, well done, well done, you. So what? Does but, yeah, mean? well, yeah, yeah. Um, I might not have won a, a podcast award, but I've won this quiz. I'm very pleased. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to thank God, my family. Um, no, what did you actually say in your your acceptance speech? I saw like a little clip of it, and it was you and Chris, wasn't it, who went up for the award? It was. Um, I kept, I didn't really know what was going on, he, if I'm honest. You know what, Owen? He said that I was dead. That's what he did. He <laughs> Is said that it? I had died. No, I didn't even go so far as to acknowledge your existence, actually. 
I did. I did see a, a, a tweet that amused me afterwards, which was from the um, UK podcasters, was it, or New Media Europe, who sent you a tweet afterwards, Jack, and says, "What's your interest in podcasting?" Yeah, which I thought was brilliant after you've just won an award from them. <laughs> a lot, guys. <laughs> yeah, but um, no, that was a good quiz. I enjoyed that, and it wasn't a, as shambolic as mine normally are. So. Uh, Great. Thank the good people of Microsoft Excel for making that happen. <laughs> okay, moving on to uh, the latest film news. I believe we're going to start off with some news about Fantastic Four 2. Owen? Yes, apparently it's happening. Okay, that's good. Moving on. Yeah. <laughs> we're just very, very briefly. I think it's it's news because it looked like it was dead in the water because the the, the previous Fantastic Four film, Josh Trank's film, um, which came out about a month ago, two months ago, tanked. I mean, it was criticised left, right and centre, including by Josh Trank, who said, this isn't my film. And he basically tried to not disown it, but claim he'd made a better film and it had been butchered. So, so who, to see... Who's he claiming made that um, butchery? Um, Fox. They stepped in and said... It needed more action and changed bits of it. If you, when you watch the film, you can see points that have been reshot after it had already been filmed. Yeah, like they've gone back and done bits because Sue Storm's wig has changed, <laughs> completely different hair color, and it sticks out like a sore thumb. But I'm trying to get as many idioms in as possible today. I've just noticed. But anyway, so the yeah, so Fantastic Four two is is kind of a, a shock. Because it looked like it was not going to happen, but maybe they they've just kept a bit of faith in in the sort of franchise, or it could be that they want to keep it still from Marvel. I don't know, but I'm not particularly excited about it. I can't see anyone. I don't know anyone who would be, to be honest. It's I mean, just, I'm guessing you guys aren't. No, it's carrying so Stop much me. baggage with it now. So much baggage. How do you shake that off? Because exactly. the, the latest film was an absolute mess. Uh, with no clear clue of what it wanted to be. And the final act was just an absolute shambles. Uh, I can't see how you could come back from that to turn that into anything even remotely investable. No. I mean, it just, it started off okay, that film, and then just yep. got worse, really. It just didn't, at any point, pick it, up speed or pace or, or anything. It didn't just get worse. It got exponentially worse. Yeah. They kept on just dropping off of cliff after cliff after cliff of irredeemability yeah so uh, i'm not really gonna expect much from fantastic four two which mm, maybe that might help it somewhat because expectations will be low but yeah i don't think it will um be breaking any marvel box office figures to be honest yeah it's not a good reason for making a film is it because people's expectations will be low yeah no (laughs) that's why we bring out a podcast every week I don't think that's how they pitch it to executives, you know. I don't think they, so. They go, they go around to Cannes Film Festival trying to talk to all the producers and say, look, look, it's going to... No one's going to expect it to be good, so let's just, just make it anyway. I don't think that's how it happens. <laughs> Unless it's, um, you know, Canon in the 80s. I think that's pretty much how they made their films. Yeah. But Fantastic Four in 2016 is not going to be anything special. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> so moving on to James Bond... Spectre is set to be the longest James Bond film to date at around 155 to 160 minutes. Uh, where do we stand on this? Is this too long? Are we bothered about it? 
That's far, far too long. It is. It's ridiculous. I mean, it's going to be... Yeah, it's the longest Bond film ever, if it actually is that, that length, because at the minute it's just like an estimated time that's been put on a few different websites. Um, but it seems like it is going to be that long. And that's just... It's, it's too much. It's too much. I mean, Bond is just a sort of fun romp, isn't it? I mean, there's a bit of um, action, there's some comedy to it usually, um, but it's just, it's just far too long. Skyfall was long. I mean, I enjoyed Skyfall, but that was a long film. How long this, was Skyfall? Skyfall was 150... No, is it 140, 45 minutes, I think? 145? So this is e- this is even longer. This is... This potentially could be another fifty minutes on top of that. I'm okay with that. If it's as good as Skyfall, I could mm. have I could have had Skyfall going for another fifteen minutes. That would have been fine. The problem I've got is the footage I've seen so far is not as good as Skyfall. It looks bland. It lo- it looks a bit um, sort of late period Pierce Brosnan so far from yeah. what I've seen. Yeah, and it's I, I can only imagine that they're going to just drag out this whole Spectre Christopher Waltz character thing. For, for ages when we kind of already have an inkling of what's going to what's gonna be the big reveal there. I don't think it's going to be a shock, to be honest. I don't want to say it, though, in case people haven't picked up on that, but if you've seen the trailer, like I have a million times recently um, at the cinema and so on, it's... Yeah, I don't know. I just... I think it's going gonna, gonna to drag on. I watched... I saw the trailer for the first time the other day. I just thought it looked just dull. Yeah, I can't remember. I've only seen it a couple of times and I can't remember any standout bits from it. And 160 minutes, Mm. plus your 30 minutes ads and trailers in your local Cineworld torture device chair, Mm -hmm. that's a long, long, bum-numbing time to be watching a film. I'm all right, thanks. I'll wait for it to come to Blu-ray. Yeah, I I mean, Where I can pause and go get a cup of coffee. I'm, I'm... Gonna go and see it. Be- well, obviously because I want a fucking film podcast, so I'm probably gonna have to. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, I I really enjoyed Skyfall as well. I'm with Phil, I thought Skyfall was brilliant, but that was that that felt its length to me. I mean, that's not a euphemism, but it just kind of it just really felt like a long film, and I don't think I could have taken much more of it. But yeah, I don't know. And like I said, Spectre just looks really dull. Probably won't be. It probably will actually turn out to be a decent film, like Skyfall. But yeah, hmm. I see. I quite enjoyed Skyfall just for the fact that I went with Chris, who also does Wiki Shuffle with us, um, and he was going on the night out straight after the film, and I can't remember why, but he was wearing a suit, <laughs> so it looked like he'd come to see. It was opening night of Skyfall. It looked like he'd come to Skyfall dressed as James Bond, and he just looked like a total prat. And that entertained me through the whole film. <laughs> okay, what we've been watching. Um, shall we start with Owen? Oh, yes, okay. I watched a film recently that I sent around the the screener to you guys before we did the podcast, and for various reasons, I I ended up being the only one who who watched it, which is a shame, because, well, I think it's a shame. I I know Brooker hates football, or soccer, as as it's called. Yes, I do. And 
Phil, I don't know your opinion of football. Do you do you follow the football? Well, <laughs> only recently, we were talking about this just before we started recording, actually. Very recently, I've got involved in fantasy football at work. <laughs> as okay. such, I have a newfound interest in the statistics of football, but it doesn't Ooh. actually require me to watch any. Yeah. Well, statistics, you're all over the statistics, though. That's good. Yeah. So, but, and I know Jack sort of follows the football. But yeah, so Sons of Ben is the film that I watched, which is um, a documentary. It's about a group of fans of football or soccer in America, in Philadelphia, um, to be precise, who really want, in 2007, they really wanted um, an MLS franchise in their town. And they're a sports mad, sports mad city in, in Philadelphia. They've got um, baseball's really big there, American football, hockey. Um, what they really, really wanted, though, there's this group of fans really wanted a soccer team. So in order to convince the MLS, the, the Major League Soccer, to open up a new, a new team in, in Philadelphia, they started supporting, started a supporter group for a fictional team. They just made up a team. They made up some team colours. They gave it a logo. They called themselves the Sons of Ben after uh, Benjamin Franklin, who apparently is from Philadelphia. Who knew? And uh, yeah, in retrospect, it sort of plots the um, mission, I guess, the quest to bring a team to, to their town. I actually found it a really interesting story. I'm not so sure how people who don't like football, how much they're going to like it. Because it, it's basically, um, it, the MLS is fairly new. It started in the 1990s. The Major League Soccer started around the 1990s, mid-1990s. And it, it, it's kind of interesting to me because as a football fan, you know, of European football mainly, um, that seems very hipsterish. Hipster. No, just only, just only. I don't watch it. <laughs> oh, I only watch the Bundesliga. I only watch the Bundesliga, yeah, and I support Dortmund. Um, no, but I... Um, I don't know what any of those words mean. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, U European football is old. There's a lot of history to it. Clubs have been around for over 100 years, particularly in the UK, um, where sort of professional football um, began. You know, the first professional football teams were in, in England, Um you know, and I grew up with football. I grew up around it. All my friends supported it. I follow uh, Birmingham City. Um, so it, it's interesting to see a, a league that is at its very beginning almost. You know, it's it's almost 100 years behind the rest of the world. Um, even Brazil's had leagues for years. And that's just on the, the sort of South American continent. North America, they had a history of it. I won't go into it because I don't, I don't want to saying like an idiot because I don't know all that much about it, but they had teams in the sort of 60s, 70s and um, 80s and they just sort of closed the league down. But th this group of fans in um, Philadelphia, you, you kind of get to see the passion of these these people who just really want a football team and everything they, they do, they go to home games of other teams and they go to MLS Cups and obviously without an actual team they're just there in their hundreds sometimes uh, and just chanting for this Philadelphia team uh, over the home crowd and over these other teams at the, at the MLS Cup finals to to try and draw attention to themselves to try and get this investment in their team and what actually happens is that the director um, Jeffrey C. Bell he um, looks at the impact that having a football team has on the surrounding community so what what eventually happens is 
there are plans to, I won't say whether it happens or not, you know, if anyone's not familiar with the, the MLS, they might not know whether anything happened or whether it, you know, just died. But it, it, it sort of follows this, this town called Chester, which is a really run-down, poverty-stricken, you know, it, it, it's, if you've ever seen The Wire or The Corner or anything like that by David Simon, where you've got these vacant properties drug dealers on every corner. It, it's one of these sort of towns, Chester. Um, so the plan is that money will be invested into the area for a football team. This is taxpayer money that will be invested into the into the football team with the idea of improving the surrounding area. So they'll open a shopping mall. There'll be like a super, the first supermarket that this town, Chester, will, will get. And it'll bring all this like uh, investment to the area and the economy will grow and all this and that and the other. And it's kind of like, it's interesting. They don't say it specifically, but it mimics what FIFA's approach is, where FIFA say we will bring the World Cup to a country and what will happen is the whole area will grow. It will thrive. It will generate jobs it'll generate um lots of money from tourism etc etc and we know from for a fact now the opposite is true mm. you know south africa was left with a lot of debt after hosting the world cup you look at the i mentioned it in my review on the website but in in Manaus, in in brazil in the middle of the fucking amazon they open up this 270 million pound football stadium which is now just like a parking lot because no football teams play there. It's too far away. The stadium's too big for any local teams. There's not really the, the support for it. So they just put up coaches and buses at the stadium. And you kind of get the same sort of feeling in Sons of Ben that what's happening is not a lot, unfortunately. And so it obviously then reflects on, on the, 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 the Sons of Ben and you sort of see them try and help in their own little way of donating to, to charity. But also, I mean... It's not really a sort of socio-political documentary. Mainly it is about these group of fans. And it's not the most intensive documentary, but what it feels like is you're watching a group of people re just recount an interesting story. You know, if you were in the same room as them, you'd be hooked. You'd be listening to every word they say about how their quest to bring a football team to their town, what sort of happened with that. And that makes it interesting, but it's... Yeah, I mean, it's not out in the UK yet. It's it's out on DVD and you can buy it from their website. They are planning to um, to, to bring it to sort of streaming and, and digital download services. Um, so you can either keep an eye on their, on their website, which is sonsofbenmovie.com um, and, and keep an eye for that. But I, yeah, I enjoyed it. I, as I say, it was interesting to, to listen to these people just talk about something that's happened to them and... I, as a football fan, I, I found it found it quite quite fascinating. Yeah, I think I'll I'll give that a watch. Actually, yeah, it does sound interesting. Um, Phil, what have you been watching this week? Oh, it's a beauty. <laughs> <laughs> In the news this week, um, Jonathan King, beloved television entertainer. Loud. Um, was was arrested again this week in connection to a um, potential child abuse charge. Be careful mm. not to libel him if I can avoid it, because I don't think I don't know if he's actually been charged yet. Um, but in one of the news stories I read about this, um, I noticed that he had, after he was released from his last period in prison for similar offences of being inappropriate with underage boys. He decided to self-produce self a feature-length film protesting his innocence. 
<laughs> entitled Vile Pervert the Musical. Jesus. It's a remarkable piece of work. It's available for free on his website, vilepervert.com, I think. Of course. <laughs> um, <laughs> and the premise is that it is a reenactment of the time when he was being accused. This is 2001 when he was being accused of um, being inappropriate, shall we say, with young boys in the early 1980s um, and recounting his version of the trial, but set to music <laughs> and with him playing every role. The most remarkable, I mean, the production values are, as you can imagine, absolutely terrible. It looks like it's been shot on a VHS video in, in 1985. Uh, there are computer graphics in there that look as though it's somebody moving around uh, something they've drawn on Microsoft Paint. It is incredible. <laughs> but for all of that... <laughs> oh, God. Here we I go. didn't struggle watching for the full 96 minutes. It was just absolutely fascinating watching this guy un unravel. And he did come across as incredibly media savvy and incredibly likable. And that's obviously what he's dined out on all of his life because he's had a phenomenally successful career over the years, been responsible for all kinds of massive music acts that you just don't for a second think he would be responsible for. He recorded the first ever Genesis album, for God's sake. You know, things that you wouldn't associate with him at all. And clearly very savvy and knows how to play this game that is media manipulation. So as much as he's com effectively complaining about how it's victimized him and how he's innocent, the whole way through, there's this insidious feeling that he's still playing that same game. And you want to believe him because he's really likable. So you want when he cites examples of things that were clearly mistakes that the prosecution made, you want to take his side but at the same time, you know full well he's not telling the full story mm. and that there's other things that he's just not mentioning and not omitting. Uh, and I have more faith in our judicial system than that. And so I couldn't come away from it thinking, yeah, you're innocent, which is obviously what he wanted us to come away from thinking, although despite the fact he tried to claim that that's not what he wanted. It's very, very strange. The songs themselves were kind of catchy. <laughs> there are a couple of the songs that have been stuck in my head. I'm quite ashamed. <laughs> and a couple of the songs were absolutely batshit. Can we was... have a sample, please? <laughs> I can't help you with that right now, I'm afraid. Um, the first, the introductory song, which is the one that I've mainly had the refrain in, um, is just repeated over and over again. Look at him. He's a vile pervert touching up boys and lifting his shirt up is the is the repeated <laughs> catchy chorus i like it oh yeah um there is another song in there that's basically saying that harold shipman's not as bad as he's been portrayed in the papers which is a curious <laughs> line to take and it's not going to win you very many friends but that it's been made and that it exists I would honestly recommend that people to give it a look just to scratch their heads and be confused about what the hell film is supposed to be, if nothing else. Um, so that's Vile Pervert, the musical. On vilepervert.com. On vilepervert. There's one to search up at work tomorrow. <laughs> There's one to worry that the wife sees my internet history. No, no, honey, it's a film. It's a film about a convicted... Uh, Owen made me do it. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to watch it just in case my next CRB check doesn't go through. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, let's let's forget that ever happened. Brooker, what have you been watching this week? Nothing anywhere close to as interesting. <laughs> uh, no, I watched uh, a documentary from 2008 that's been recommended to me by a lot of people, and I finally wanted to watch it because of the walk that comes out in a couple of weeks. So I watched Man on Wire, which is Good the documentary film. of Philippe, I don't know how to pronounce his surname, Petit, Petit, Petit who, walked, think, yeah. who wire walked between the World Trade Center towers in 1974 and a lot of people like I said a lot of people recommended it to me and I, oh, I don't really do documentaries I can't really be bothered uh, but I've kind of I've challenged myself to go and see The Walk in 3D IMAX when it comes out because I'm almost certain it's going to make me puke across everybody else <laughs> in that cinema with me but I wanted I wanted to watch the documentary before I went. And it's actually, I was surprised as to how interesting it was and how well made it was. It, it kind of, it tells like two stories at the same time. So it starts with him describing and obviously with reenactments, uh, the actual night that he uh, walked or he set up the, the cable to walk across the World Trade Center towers. And at the same time, it tells the story of him planning to do it and it was just it was a really interesting look at this french dude who was just obsessed with walking i, I mean I, i've seen those the towers in real life they they they're that's high that's i would not i i wanted to vomit just looking out of a window way <laughs> up i i don't know why anybody would want to do that you've got to be a special kind of psycho to uh <laughs> to want to do that but it was really interesting. It was really interesting to watch. Like he, even when he descri- and he, he is such a character. Mm. Like on the camera, he's hiding behind curtains to describe hiding. It was absolutely hilarious. <laughs> like peeking out from these curtains and talking to the guys making the documentary. It was so so bizarre, but it was so well done. Like he, you you actually, it was as if you were watching not a documentary but watching the film of it happening. And you, mm-hmm. you know, by the end of it, you were rooting for him. It was really, really good. I'd, I mean, I'd recommend it for anybody that has half an interest in the film that's coming out in a couple of weeks. I don't know if I'd recommend it for standard fun watching, but no, I really liked it. I, and like I say, I don't generally do documentaries. I, I find them quite boring. I've seen it out there, and I've heard people tell me that it's good. But my feeling about it has always been there's not a feature length worth of story to be told there and that this is going to be too many long, arduous, establishing shots that are just going to bore me. And not that, really. That's always been my concern over it. It's it's not bad in that respect because it spends a lot of time covering the stuff we've done before. Right. Like, uh, walking between the, I don't know, spires at Notre Dame. Okay. Uh, you know, a couple of his wild walks for one he'd done in Australia, and him, you know, uh, talking to a lot of the people about how he set those up as well, and then cutting back to how he set up the World Trade Center walk. It's not, it's not as bad as you think it's going to be. And actually, what's quite interesting is while they're talking about the older walks that he'd done, 
you know, he said he saw a picture. He saw pictures of what the World Trade Center was going to look like, and decided he wanted to walk it. But the problem was, they hadn't built them yet. <laughs> so, so while he was preparing to do this walk, they were still building the World Trade Center. So they kind of uh, splice in shots of the Trade Center being built at the same time, which gives you quite an interesting uh, feel of the, the time that's passing in between him having the idea and him actually getting the walk done. It's it's interestingly done. It's not particularly long. Uh, and it, it doesn't feel long either. It doesn't feel like you're, you're wasting time just constantly looking up at the top of the World Trade Center. It's How, was it produced post 9-11? 2008, so yes. 2008. So is there a lot of reference to the 9-11 story or None. does it bypass that entirely? None. Uh, well, because because he'd done the walk in two th- in 1974. Right. So well, so he couldn't he couldn't do it after 9/11 because they weren't there. Well, but, no, but that'd I, be I, easy. But I expect <laughs> I wouldn't be quite the Lots ball. of mawkish, you know, talking about oh, but now it's not even there, so no one's ever going to do this again because of no, our most was, tragic no, day. No, none of that at all. There was because I I expected a little bit of you know morbid. Oh, I wish I could do that, but I can't because someone flew a plane into the building. I expected yeah. a lot of that, but no, none, none at all. Okay, like, it, uh, you've assuaged a lot of my fears. Yeah, stopped, and I, I think it stopped dead on 1974. It doesn't go past that. The only thing past that is talking to the guy that done the walk and a little bit of footage of him in his garden still wire walking. It literally the the, the part with the World Trade Center stops at 1974. You don't yeah. see any 9/11 stuff in it at all. I'd say as well that um, I had the same fears as as Phil, but. The fact that he is such a character, he completely carries the film um, oh, on does. his own charisma and his weirdness. He's um, like so an yeah, entire on cast in one person. He's just such a weird guy to watch, but he's so funny. Yeah, that's the French for you. <laughs> <laughs> have you seen those? Like, I'm going to guess you have because I think everybody's seen them right now. But those YouTube videos of the, those like guys in like Russia and Eastern Europe who just hang off the top of scaffolds on top of like skyscrapers and stuff. Blooming yeah. idiots. That's just fucking. That's. I, I saw one guy do a handstand on the ledge of one of those, and I just thought, I can't. I can't look. It's too much for me. And it, ma- it makes oh. me. I'm. I'm not entirely sure I'm going to make it to the end of the walk. Because <laughs> I'm, I'm almost certain that in 3D it's going to be made specifically to make you want to throw up. Yeah. And but I'll try because yep. it's worth a laugh. Something to look forward to, eh? <laughs> <laughs> okay, we'll take a break for a short musical interlude, and then we'll be back for uh, the new releases, which are The Visit, M Night's new thriller, and um, Legend, the Cray Twins film. <laughs> Okay, and now to move on to our new releases this week. First up, The Visit, which is M. Night's new thriller. Um, Phil's the only one who has seen this. Phil, I have read a few reviews that have stated that this is M. Night's best work um, in a long time. Well, then the people you read are idiots. (laughs) (laughs) And you should find some better people to read because it's atrocious. It's embarrassing how bad it is. It made me proper curl up my toes with embarrassment in multiple places i 
I don't know that I hated it because it was just so... It was as if it was made by somebody who had no clue about what filmmaking supposed to be. It was one of those films that was just so much of nothing of any remote accomplishment that I couldn't even be angry at it for that. It, it, it had no merit. And such a, a lack of... Under, such a lack of the basic understanding of what you need to give your characters anything about them for you to care about them because you don't so i'll start off with the premise because it's it's flimsy and it won't take me long to do the the idea is that these two children um both played by unknown actors with not an iota of likability about either of them um that certainly they seemed like something off of a soap opera they were so poorly imagined and so unrounded in their characters have got to for um, go and stay with their grandparents that they've never met before. So the girl, I think she's 14 or 15 and the boy's nine or 10. And so they've never met these grandparents before. They turn up on the train station, meet these grandparents. And from pretty much the beginning, they're a bit weird. Oh, and I haven't mentioned it's all shot in found footage. Oh. Is he? All of it, the entire thing. And it is the worst execution of this that I can remember seeing because it makes no sense that they just keep on filming when they're supposed to be terrified and the cameras keep landing in wonderfully fortuitous positions when they drop them that just capture all the action. It's so badly done. It makes no sense whatsoever. The the suggestion is that this oldest daughter is filming this trip to make some kind of wonderful artsy documentary, which is why there's all these beautiful establishing shots. But she's just this precocious little tween that doesn't really know what she's talking about. And it's just unlikable. She's just a brat the young lad is even worse the one bit of characterization they've given him is that when he grows up he wants to be a rapper <laughs> such he keeps on rapping at length unironically i think because there was no humor there was nothing funny about it at all it just made me want to die it was so bad that they kept cutting to these rap scenes at the very end of the film, there's one kind of over the closing credits. It's so bad. <laughs> it is so bad. Is and yet he did that film After Earth with Will Smith, and there was no rapping. Yeah. I mean... <laughs> <laughs> After Earth is a much... I would watch After Earth two or three times in a row rather than watching The Visit again. Oh, God. Wow. Me. That must be bad. It was, oh, there, when it came to, because it was meant to be a horror thriller thing, it didn't know what it was, it wasn't any of those things, and yet it wanted to be all of them, and so ended up contradicting itself loads of times in what the, when the, there is a twist, it's not as bad as the twist of the happening. It's not the wind, is it? It's not the wind. It, it's not no. the trees trying to kill everybody. Oh, I haven't seen the happening. Oh, I've given away the twist of the happening. And so so that, was, that was the wind, and in signs it was water. Yeah. So he's just trying to cover all element-based. Yeah. <laughs> he had Last Airbender. That had fire in it, I believe. That had all of them. Yeah. That was, That is his worst film, by the way. Do not watch Last Airbender. I, I couldn't get over the fact in Last Airbender as well. They keep calling each other benders with no hint of like awareness. <laughs> wow. I'd sworn after the happening that I wouldn't watch any more of his films, that that's it. It burnt his bridges too many times. Um, and now I'm renewing that swear that I have no interest in anything <laughs> I'd like to do, which is absolutely tragic to me because I honestly, genuinely adore The Sixth Sense. 
It's one of my favourite films. Um, it moved me to tears, and it still can, that film. I think it's an amazing film. Um, and to have gone just diminishing return after diminishing return um, on everything he's done since, just, no, absolutely dreadful. So, yeah, there is a twist. It's a terrible twist. It adds nothing to anybody. It's not interesting. Nothing that happens is interesting. Nothing that happens is scary. There's some really forced and laboured jump shots in there where you just think that's just insulting my intelligence. You know, anyone can do that. I can do that myself. Uh, don't. It's lazy. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, the whole thing is just a, a mess. Okay, good. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I'll leave it at that probably. Good, good. Okay. We will move on then to Legend, starring Tom Hardy, Tom Hardy, and I've forgotten her name. Tom Hardy. <laughs> yeah, well played <laughs> by Tom Hardy, I believe. Uh, Emily Browning. Emily Browning, yes. That's who it. who does a good Cockney accent. Anyway, that's not the main plot. <laughs> uh, so this is about the Cray twins, and um, it, it, it tells the story of, of their sort of rise and their hold over London in the 1960s. Um, and yeah, obviously people are very excited because Tom Hardy's in it twice. So Owen, yeah. what did you think about the film? Oh, I watched it earlier today. I was I was quite excited about this. I think Brooke, we may have had a chat about this on the podcast not too long yeah. back, where we were kind of both in agreement. It was one of the, the films of this latter half of the year that we were most looking forward to. Absolutely, I was I was well well up for this one. Yeah. And then I started to see the reviews that were coming out and um, they weren't great. They, they weren't all bad. I mean, the two-star Guardian review, for example, uh, <laughs> kind of lays into that it. Was, Not that, that you would know they genius. had a two-star review. Yeah. I, for anyone who, who's listening to this on Acast, on, on our um, podcast host, acast.com, I'll put a, a picture in to the... To, to the, to the um, to that poster, that film poster. But it's brilliant, isn't it? I'm, I'm assuming we've all seen it now. Yeah, it's very clever. Yeah. yeah. I, I have nothing but res begrudging respect for it. Yeah. It's, it's, it's pure marketing genius, isn't it? Yeah. And I kind of like the fact it's a bit of a sort of two fingers to yeah. to people who review films badly, I guess. But, um, but I, I, yeah, so I was, re I was really, really looking forward to Legend. Um lowered my expectations when I read when I read those reviews but you know what I kind of it's all right isn't it I, I think it's all right I think it's a, a decent biography it's probably just a bit better than the the pre the previous Cray film craze with um the Kemps yeah with Spandau Ballet in it um <laughs> I thought it was all right yeah am I alone in that or do we do we all kind of feel the same or I think it was okay I I, I really liked it as a as a gangster film, as a yeah. craze film, I thought it was a bit poor. I mean, it kind of wasn't as violent as you expect <clears> a <throat> British crime film to be. Even though it's an 18, there's a lot of um, romance to the story, which I'm not sure who, who that's entirely aimed at. And I don't think the, the narration from, from Emily Brennan's character... Um, Needless, because she plays, yeah, she plays Reggie's wife or fiance or girlfriend at different points in 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 the film. She plays Frances, and she's just she, she's okay as an actress. I don't think she's fantastic in this either. Uh, but her narration just annoyed me, and the kind of 
it was unnecessary most of the time. It, it was it was just it just wasn't required for, to have her explain what was happening that you, when you could see it or just work it out from what was going on anyway, you know. And it's just it didn't work for me. And then there was a kind of a smugness about the the narration that mm. irked me somewhat a bit later on in the film. But yeah, I kind of have we seen the previous film with um, with Spando Ballet? Yes. No, I've not seen it. No. You haven't? Okay. I had an interesting conversation with someone um, about a week ago, actually, on that film. It starts as they're being born. So in Second World War, they they grow up in this very hostile atmosphere. You know, there's all those sort of... It's, it's East London, and they've all sort of got a community, and they, they grow to know each other, and it's, it sort of follows them as they sort of grow up and then become gangsters. Here, the opposite of that happens where you're you're dumped into the story they're already gangsters they're established and it's just a what i really wanted to see was that empire building how they became these celebrities yeah they they glossed over entirely what being a gangster was so they suggested that there was some um protection work being done all the rest but there was none of that was covered I found the morality of it a bit questionable from that point of view. There was mm. no doubt that we were supposed to really root for the craze. I mm-hmm. wasn't really comfortable with that. The film's called Legend, which I think is just yeah. bullshit. Yeah, yeah. they're uh, horrible bastards. Yeah, and they weren't portrayed as that. They were um, the the scene in which um, he's taken to prison and, and gets beaten by the guards for absolutely no reason. I just thought, well, that doesn't seem like a very re- realistic and even-handed portrayal of what we're seeing here. Um, it's it's unsympathetic. And then when, necessarily for the story, things do get a bit darker and it waits until very long in the film before this starts happening, it's all at once, all of a sudden, and there's no real arc or development there. It's just, oh, yeah, he, he's snapped, but normally he's lovely, almost. Yeah. And I yeah. wasn't okay <laughs> with that. So that one particular scene, you go, yeah, you've done that for no other reason than we're near the end of the film and you want me to hate this guy. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, it's very cliched in that sense. There's a lot of... Um, I mean, do you think part of the problem is the fact that um, the director, Brian Helgeland, is um, He's American. American and not British? Do you think that perhaps... I think that, it, that it, explains the narration at the very least. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. To I try think, and help um, the audience who might not understand stuff, but... Possibly. And, and, you know, I understand you've got to think about international markets. But for me, there was a a subplot going on where there were American gangsters coming over from Las Vegas and meeting with them. That was a completely disposable part of the film. No payoff. No payoff for that whatsoever. No value to that. Um, And whether it was just to to shoehorn into American accents into the film to make it marketable more in America, I don't know. But it it added nothing to the film. And but that's what I mean about the the sort of empire side of it. You know, they the Craves are probably the most well known British gangsters, and it's not because they were strictly just gangsters. It's because in the in the sixties they had an actual celebrity status because of the nightclubs they owned. In the people they invited into their into their clubs, they had lots of celebrities, which is touched upon at the very start of this, where Reggie's in his in his club and he says, "Oh, that's Joan Collins," and oh, we get Barbara Windsor in here. You know, it means nothing now, but at the time that would have been quite a big deal. And it just that isn't emphasized enough yeah. to sort of I to think see how the how implication so is made that yeah. because um, she. Uh, 
Browning's character wasn't aware of that was because we weren't getting to see it, but it mm -hmm. didn't do that consistently. If it was just no. her story, that would have been fine, and that would make a lot more sense. But they weren't doing that. They almost did. The, they almost went that whole hog and just had it as her story, and I wish they had, mm -hmm. because it, it, yeah, it really was a waste. That it, it didn't glue together at all. You had those two conflicting sides, and it just made meant the whole film's kind of fell apart if they'd concentrated yeah, you... on either the craze story or her story it would have been great well it wouldn't have been great it was pretty shit <laughs> but you know at least there would have been something to hold on to but it was it just didn't really know what it was yeah absolutely you either have that that crime organization and how it came about and how it was built and what happened to it afterwards and the aftermath of the things that happened or you have someone who is in the east of london who um experiences life in the 60s where the craze were around you don't sort of have this mix of the two and neither of them are fully committed to it just kind of it fizzles out a lot of stories there's so much filler here yeah i mean i kind of it seems like i'm really down on the film i'm not really i didn't hate it i just i, I liked some of it and um i think you said on twitter as well jack that it, it, it felt cartoonish and that was that was true especially with um Tom Hardy's portrayal of Ron, Ronnie Cray. He's so was... over the he's so over the top in every film he's in. I don't get why people love him so much. I think he's good. He's he's yeah. energetic and he's charismatic, but he just goes a step too far in every portrayal that I've seen him in. I yeah, calm down, Brooker. Calm down. <laughs> yeah, put your fingers in your ears. That's fine. <laughs> That's my Tom Hardy you're talking about. Leave him alone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You're either in the Gosling camp or you're in the Hardy camp. I'm firmly in the Gosling camp. Oh yeah, no, no, no. Tom Hardy over here. I'll have them both <laughs> at the same time. <laughs> uh, no, I thought Tom Hardy's portrayal was fantastic. Um, I just, we, he wasn't given enough to then do with those characters that he'd created. I think the, the differentiation between the two twins was well done. Um, I didn't feel that the scenes where they were talking to each other were overly gimmicky or overly milked, which thankfully, I think that the special effects of the ability to do that is so commonplace now that people don't feel the need to show it off like they once might have done. Listen, weren't they weren't they beautifully filmed though? Those scenes where both of them were in it. Like literally, I stared at the screen looking for the seams and couldn't mm -hmm. see them. No, you know, we're not we're not talking mid nineties friends Lisa Kudrow on the screen twice where it's <laughs> yeah eye rapingly yeah. obvious how bad it is, but it looked amazing. And for all the the film's faults, I will give it that. Brian Helgeland done a great job of putting that on the screen. Mm. Oh, that reminds me actually. Last week, we asked a very important question about whether or not Tom Hardy could be nominated twice for the Best Actor Oscar. Oh, no, yeah. no, he won't. I've done some research. <laughs> of course he <laughs> has. So I've taken a look at the official rules for the Academy, um, the special rules for the acting awards. This is rule six in the, in the Academy's handbook. Have you had a busy week off work, Phil? <laughs> <laughs> I've been doing I mean, like that, that and Excel spreadsheets, um, man. It's a rock and roll life. Yeah. <laughs> now, it's more complicated than we thought. Okay. No actor 
can be nominated twice in the shortlist for the Best Actor category um, at the Oscars. So even if it's two different films, if they can receive nominations for both, but only the one that received the most nominations will actually go through to the shortlist for the Best um, Actor ah, Award. Okay. So he could not be in the Best Actor category twice. However... He's, he's not going to be in it once, so don't worry about could, it. But could he be <laughs> However, the Best Supporting Actor? He could, yeah. theoretically, and it gets very hazy here, be nominated in both the Best Actor and the Best Supporting Actor, but only if they're for the two different performances. Because it's up to whoever's placing the nomination as to whether they decide that an actor is a leading actor or a supporting actor. And that's their decision which category they nominate it in. So historically, it is quite often that some people's interpretation of whether somebody was a lead or a support actor varies. Mm. If they end up getting nominated in both of those, they only get nominated in the character that in the category that they got nominated the most times for. So the same role can't get nominated for both supporting actor and um, best actor. But if they're two different roles in the same film, there's nothing specifically in the rules that says that that wouldn't be acceptable. So theoretically, he could be nominated for both um, best actor and both best supporting actor for two different roles in the same film. You're, you well know. <laughs> you're welcome. That is thorough research. I am so impressed. We never normally get that level of research on here. And that's if, at most, we have a quick Google whilst we're podcasting. Unfortunately, you're talking about legend where it's moot. It's not going to happen in either yeah, it's direction. Never gonna happen. <laughs> it's just not going to happen. There was, there was too much clutter going on on the screen there for it to be even considered as a, an Oscar-worthy film, unfortunately. One thing I will say for it is it, it was very funny. And I had a few mm. laugh out loud moments. Yeah. Um, a lot of the time due to just ultra violence and it being a bit silly and over the top. But I, I did, I sort of took it as a, I, about 10, 20 minutes into it. I thought, okay, I'm just going to watch this as if it's a comedy. And I enjoyed it a lot from then on. Mm -hmm. um, but if you're going in wanting a realistic, gritty, hard hitting action film or gangster film, it's just not going to work no. for you at all. But I think this uh, is kind of what I mean when I say, you know, for me, I sat and watched it and I really enjoyed it as just a standard British crime film. As a as a, a proper British gangster flick, I thought it was great, and I really enjoyed it. I just had to forget that it was the Cray twins on the screen. Once I'd done that, I was much much happier with what I was watching. Yeah, I, there were there were things that um, see what what I wanted to see more of. I wanted to see um, in terms of the performances anyway. In terms of performances, I wanted to see a bit more Christopher Eccleston as Nipper. Yeah, yeah his, that was nothing, was, was it? No, I didn't even know it was him. There was no like um, duel that was going on between the, t the 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 three of them. You know, you you needed to see him investigating them a bit more. At most, you had him pin some pictures onto a, a board during a montage, and oh, that was it. God, there should be a law against that. Yeah. If ever, as a director, you find yourself shooting a scene where it involves linking one picture to another with a bit of string, you should take a step back and think about what you're doing. <laughs> yeah. Um, but also, weirdly, I thought David Thewlis had quite a lot of screen time when he probably didn't need so much. He, yeah, he was he was wasted. He did have a lot of screen time, and I mean, I'm I'm of the opinion that if David Thewlis is in a film and he's not the lead actor, you're wasting him anyway. Yeah. But yeah, he, he his character was just very dull. There wasn't yeah. much to him. Yeah. And no. you you never really got behind his motivation whatsoever. You had a lot of stuff to do with Ronnie not trusting him. But you never really saw if he, if he was properly trustworthy or not. 
True. And also the, the rivalry with the um, the gang from South London, who's uh, name yeah. after Paul Bettany. Paul right, Bettany yeah, was in yeah. the film. What? <laughs> Why even bother? They advertised it with his name on it, Paul Bettany. Yeah. And it's, it's just, it, yeah, it's in it for about 20 seconds. Minutes. Yeah. It was, oh, that was a, that was a real waste, actually. And that, I think that comes with the same as the, uh, we need to see the empire growing story. Yeah. <clears throat> that, that was a big part of them kind of taking over everything. And it would have been a much more interesting film if they'd have expanded on that bit. Yeah. 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 But at the same time, I thought um, Taron Edgerton did quite well in the support role mm. um, as Mad Teddy. Did they call him Mad Teddy? Just Teddy Smith is listed on IMDb. But he was he was all right as um, Ronnie's implied lover. I think he's the thing. Yes, the army of twinks that he'd got um, floating <laughs> around him. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I think we should also perhaps talk about Emily Browning's performance away from away from the narration because she's possibly second billing after Tom Hardy as Reggie yeah. is top billing I would say I would say Ronald is very firmly the support of the two if we're going to mm-hmm. get technical but yeah. I mean she wasn't good enough for me to carry this film which she is expected to do for large portions of yeah. it I don't think the character was fleshed out nearly enough, and I, no. I don't think she had enough to work with. I think she did a good job give, with what she was given. Um, mm-hmm. and like I said before, her accent I thought was excellent, um, because most Americans that try and do a Cockney or it's Australian actually, but most foreigners that try and do a Cockney accent just do the whole Dick Van Dyke thing, and it's terrible. Yes, no, yeah, her but I, was I thought good. she was. I thought she was good. She just didn't have enough to work with. See, I didn't. I didn't get the feeling that she was naive enough. She didn't seem to be. Um... Because, you know, it's, it, it, again, through conversations she has with her mom in the film, she doesn't really get the uh, the fact that Reggie is, um, you know, what kind of person he is. She just sees him as this sweet man. But then you don't really understand that there's um, a naivety about it. Because she also, then at other times you see, and she's kind of canny and knows what's going on. I don't, so I don't, I don't think the they... the problems they, with really... her character, though. She, in real life, they met when she was 16. Mm. And that's not explained at all. It's it's not you've got no sense of time in this film in the slightest. No, so, definitely not. So you've got no you've got no idea that she's in, okay. That obviously certain liberties are taken with the film, but you've got no idea that in real life she was sixteen when they met, and I think twenty three, twenty four when they got married. Mm. So you know over oh, that long. Yeah, okay. there's an eight year gap between them getting married, them meeting, and them getting married. But and if that was got, explained, you could you, you could, could understand see, her you mother's could see why she anger. was naive at the start and a bit savvy towards the end. You could you could understand it, but because it's not explained, you'd, you yeah. as far as you're concerned, they met at the you know two hours ago and they just got married because film. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the only thing that gives <clears> it any sense of passage of time is when Reggie goes to prison. Yep. I'm going to say it's like a six-month sentence, but then you don't know whether that's been extended no. for him battering a, poli- uh, a prison guard. There's the problem, because he says he got out early. But, yeah. But he doesn't say how early. No. Has he been gone a week? Has he been gone you know, a month? <laughs> I've, I, you've got no fucking idea. And I think this is probably the biggest problem with this. That I've got, it's not a biopic, because I've got no sense of what what has happened and what time has actually passed. Yeah. Hmm. I think that was the biggest... Um missed opportunity in the film as well when reggie went to prison because i was reading earlier that while he was in prison 
he had an encounter with Charles Bronson and said it was the scariest experience <laughs> of his life. And they could have had been. Tom Hardy playing Bronson. <laughs> yeah, it would have been brilliant. And it would have been such a nice sort of nod, nod and a wink and or a nudge, mm. nudge and a wink um, to the viewer, anyone that's seen Bronson. Um, and yeah, I think given that the film was half an hour too long, they could have stuck five minutes in <laughs> and had that as well. Why not? Go for it. Yeah, if you're going to self-indulge, self-indulge yeah. big. Um, one of the things I noticed, and I, I really don't, I never pick up on this on films and I never criticise them for it, but I'm going to this time. And that was some glaring continuity problems. I'm normally really forgiving okay. about that. At the beginning, and they make a big thing about this lemon sherbet. There's no <laughs> Yeah. He crunches, he crunches up a it. lemon sherbet yeah. and, and makes they talk about the fact that he's crunched up a lemon sherbet. <laughs> and then he spits it out and gives it to her. <laughs> How cold. did that make the edit? <laughs> That, pit, that pissed that me off as well. Yeah. There's no going but, back once you've crunched a lemon sherbet. Yeah. No. Can't just piece it together again. Oh. If you can, that's pretty talented. Because um, that's his skill. That's like when you tie a cherry store. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He reassembles. Oh, that's good. I'd respect that. that that's a CV for you, though, isn't it? Expedatory <laughs> gangster can refit a lemon sherbet in his mouth. Yeah. They all had surprisingly straight teeth. Well, perhaps not... Um, Tom Hardy, but <laughs> Emily Browning's teeth, considering she was eating sweets all the time. Um, I think she was storing one in either cheek as well. That was <laughs> <laughs> just one lemon sherbet just shoved up high in either cheek. <laughs> uh, Brooker. Yes, mate. As someone who grew up in oh. sort of... Do you have any stories? I have don't you, have any stories. You, have, you mentioned in your review on the website I, that you... Well, no, what what I had to, was... Yeah. Because I, when I grew up, I, what I had was mates who heard stories from their dad and stories from their dad's friends. And it was, it really was like the Chinese whispers of stories about, because every, and it's, it's the same now, you know, everybody wants to have some kind of association with the craze because they're celebrities. Yeah. yeah. They're still celebrities in this country, aren't they? Mm -hmm. uh, that's you know, why and... they were treated the way they are in the film. It's why the film's called Legends, and and that to me is a, a disingenuous in terms of the morality of the film. But I think you know, well, you know, okay, the morality is questionable, but they're they're, they're gangsters. Their morality is always a bit questionable. I I would say Legend is a fitting word for them, though. If if it was Legends with an S, as in they are legends, then. You... Yeah, I I think perhaps. But are we talking that maybe they're trying to tell the legend of the craze? Yeah, I think it's more that and... it's a legend or a myth or you know this, this an embellished story. But these kind are of kind thing. of the stories that I grew up with. You know, these are embellished, just Chinese whispery myths. Not mm. one single person that I've ever met has ever had anything to do. I'm from miles south where these guys <laughs> used to hang around. Okay. No one I know has got anything to do with these people. Yeah, I always heard stories. I was like, oh, shut up. Don't <laughs> <laughs> know what you're fucking talking about, you twat. Shut up. I'd have called it, look at this pair of your pricks. <laughs> See, me, I'd have just gone, watch Tom Hardy for two hours. He's that yeah. good. Yeah, he's all right. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why no one agrees with me on this. He's, because you're yeah. wrong. <laughs> um, yeah, surely that should tell you something. <laughs> okay, any other thoughts? Um, I mean, I, it's still not the worst film say, Tom Hardy's been in this year. It's it's all right. 
what's the worst film he was in this year? Child 44. Oh, Child oh, 44, God, yeah. yeah. Oh, I'd forgotten about it. I had erased it from my memory. See, you say that, just as I said that, I can hear the missus in the kitchen going, oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was just going to say, um, I have been, I, uh, it seems like we've been very negative about about Legend. If you, if you had to, would you watch it again? If there was nothing else on TV, you were flicking through the channels and it just started on BBC Two. Yep. Uh, no, I don't think I'd need to. I would, I would record it. Fast forward to the scene where Ronnie tells um, Francis's mother to sing in the church. Oh. <laughs> and then I'd, I'd delete it. Yeah. Or the one, the one and only well, scene that's worth the 18 rating that it gets, which fuck me was horrendous. I I liked his magic trick. I thought that was quite funny. <laughs> yeah. When he's on stage. Okay, because I think I probably would. I think I'd I'd sit sit through it again. But. Yeah, I mean, as we've established, it's not a great film. It's just, it's it's okay. It's yeah, decent. Wasted opportunity, I'd say. Yeah. Mm, yeah. I don't think it's deserving of all those four stars it got on the poster. No, but they were no. mainly from Heat magazine and Glamour magazine. So, this is true. you know, people really want to look at where the reviews are coming from before getting excited over a four star yeah. review. And the Cockney yeah. Chronicle and the, the Wide Boy <laughs> Times. <laughs> <laughs> you better watch out because Brooker will stab you up. <laughs> no, I, where I come from, we we read the news shopper. They don't <laughs> okay, before anyone gets too irate, we will move on to our recommendations for this week. Um, if we start with Brooker, what's your recommendation um, on TV in the next seven days, or video in demand, or streaming services? Okay, or uh, if you want to get old time. My one is Thursday night at 10 past 11 on film four, uh, Man on Fire is on. And it's just like the greatest revenge movie that isn't made in Korea ever. <laughs> the Denzel Washington in yeah, that one? Yeah, Denzel Washington, the uh, Tony Scott movie. And it sounds kind of similar to the film you've already watched this week. Yeah. Man on, Man on Fire. Wire. Man on Wire. <laughs> <laughs> it's good. I like to watch films only in pairs when they rhyme. <laughs> You said that. I'm really desperately racking my brain for two that that, that rhyme. <laughs> that aren't porn. <laughs> yeah, there's lots of porn ones. Nope. No, okay, let's move, on then. No. let's move on. <laughs> Owen, what's your recommendation for this week? Uh, I was half expecting Brooker to pick this, actually. Yeah, but on, the on my channel, list. <laughs> yeah. It was on horror my channel. list in case someone picked up Big Man on Fire first. Yeah. Horror Channel Friday at quarter to eleven um, in the evening is Pernicious by James Cullen Bresick, which we um, reviewed on the podcast. We reviewed on the website. Uh, came out this year, so it's a, it's a it's still pretty new. I don't think it's even been out to to rent or buy for for more than a, a couple of months. I think it came out at the end of July. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Very violent horror film. Set in, I think it's Thailand. A group of girls go on holiday to Thailand. They find a weird statue in their room, and it kind of possesses them to commit these crimes and stuff. It's it's just so 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 violent. I think so dark. I, I kind of really liked it. Um, but we've 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 talked about it a lot in the past. So so I'll just um, which shut is kind up of why and... I skipped over it just in case. Yeah. No. Of course, one of us was going to have to mention it. I think. You've spoken about it enough to make me want to see it, and I haven't yet. So I will be looking that out. Yeah, I mean it's very low budget and it's it is very James Cullen Bresick, and I've only seen a handful of his films. Oh, it, but it's... It, 
it's very cheap. It's very, very indie horror, but it's still but, quite nasty and still got a couple of decent jumps in it. So yeah, it's all right. It's better than most yeah. indie horror I watch. Yeah, it, it shows what can be accomplished on such a low budget. I think some proper stomach churning scenes in it. And Phil, what are you watching this week? Well, um, being released on um, DVD, I think it came out this week, uh, was is uh, the film Top 5, uh, okay. which is the Chris Rock um, film, which is simultaneously one of my favourite and least favourite films of the year so far. <laughs> 98% of this film I adored. Um, and I thought the characterization was just fantastic. I cared about Chris Rock more than I ever knew it would be possible for me to do. Um, it's genuinely touching and moving, and it's got a whole lot of heart. And then for about two minutes in the middle of the film, there's a rape scene that makes me hate it just immeasurably, um, which is effectively played for laughs. And because it's a man, it's treated as if that's okay. And yet it wouldn't be if it was the other way around. And so I absolutely hate that that scene was allowed to be in it. All the rest of the film, except for that two minutes, is absolutely brilliant. So I'm completely morally torn on this film because <laughs> all of its sensibilities are so good and so right on and exactly where I want them to be, except for this one little clip in the middle that I wish didn't exist. Has okay. anybody else seen the film? No. I avoided it after I read a pretty bad review, a pretty scathing review of it. Um, yeah, I've not heard too many positives about it. So that's the first one, first time I've been interested right. in it after, after you saying that. I, may, I might check it out still. Yeah, I mean, Chris Rock's basically playing himself. Um, mm -hmm. in this disillusioned star of really disposable movies whose career's dried up a bit and is having this major existential crisis and he's a recovering alcoholic and he's dealing with all of that. But it's done in a very uh, telling and mature and self-reverential way. It isn't cloying. It, 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 it judges it just right. And he forms this relationship with Rosario Dawson and the pair of them play off of each other really well. And they're both very broken characters that support each other really effectively. And it's touching and it's funny. And I never thought I particularly liked Chris Rock. I didn't nothing he'd done before had ever really appealed to me. But this film just blindsided me, with the exception of one scene in the middle, which is just a disposable comedy scene, which is absolutely abysmal. OK. Um, and as for me, uh, this is stretching it a bit because it's not actually out until next Tuesday. So the 22nd of September. But it's called The Primary Instinct, and it will be out on video on demand. Uh, it's Well, if I give you a bit of background, there's a, a podcast called The Tobolowski Files, which is a storytelling podcast with Stephen Tobolowski, who is a character actor in many films, but most people will know him as Ned Ryerson in um, Groundhog Day. If you know that oh, scene okay. where yeah. he bumps into his old friend Ned. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Anyway, he's also been in loads of stuff, Memento, Heroes, uh, Seinfeld... God knows, lots and lots of stuff. Really talented character actor. He's one of those people, if you saw his face, you'd know him from yeah. something. Yeah, yeah. definitely. He's, he's, he's been in everything. Give me his name again. Stephen Tobolowski. It's a stupid name. <laughs> okay, well, <laughs> if we had a more memorable name. Sorry for any Polish listeners that we have. Um, T-O-B-O-L-O-W-S-K-Y. And, um, yeah, he does this um, storytelling podcast. And it is just he tells story of stories of his life, of love, of Hollywood, all that cliched crap. But it's 
actually normally very interesting and he's very charismatic and he does draw you in. This is a concert film, uh, The Primary Instinct, which is simply him telling stories in front of an audience for an hour and a half. That is going to be the type of thing that might fill you um, fill you with fear, in which case it's not going to be for you. Um, but if that does interest you, then I'd, I'd say it's going to be worth a, worth a check out. But I haven't seen it. It might be shit. Recommending it blind. Yeah, well, I, I know the podcast is is good quality, mm-hmm. uh, so I figure the film is going to be just as good. Um, yeah, apparently it says here he is going to answer the question that as dog storytellers since the beginning of time, why do we tell stories in the first place? So, you know, that's something to look forward to. Mm. It's good if he can come up with that answer. That would be quite yeah. a payoff. Actually, you know what? It says he may answer that. Yeah, so. which makes me think he doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> I'll report back. It's like those uh, Discovery Channel documentaries about aliens. They yeah, always come back yeah. with the same answer. <laughs> Nobody knows. Just uh, not yeah. quite as high stakes for this. <laughs> I'm a, a massive fan of David Sedaris, who does a, a very similar shtick. Um, and yeah, I can listen to, to that kind of thing. So that, that's that's piqued my interest good good okay any other business that's it i think okay well steve will return to his rightful chair uh next week i believe is that right owen he uh will yeah he'll be back as host um and next week we'll have um callum on and we'll review everest which i am i'm not sure whether i'm looking forward to or not i I think think it's one of those good I feel like I've seen the whole film in the trailer. Yeah, I'm not sure yeah, that yeah. I need to see a film about a double glazing company. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, tune in next week for that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Brilliant. That's why you haven't got to that. Best comedy podcast. <laughs> yeah, do give um, Wiki Shuffle a listen if you are fed up of this film podcast. <laughs> it's award-winning. <laughs> yeah, cheers, Jack. Well, yeah, come back anytime. Yeah, we're going to bore all your listeners and then steal them at the end. That was our plan all along. No, seriously, though, you can listen to both. There's only two and a half hours of material every week, so fit us both into your life. Okay, until next week, Steve will be back. Everything will return to normal. Thank you very much for listening. The Failed Critics Podcast is presented by Steve Norman and Owen Hughes, created by James Diamond with original music provided by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com, remixed by James Yule of JamesYule.com. You can find us at FailedCritics.com, on Twitter at FailedCritics, and Facebook at Facebook.com forward slash FailedCritics. Thanks for listening. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.